0: listening to a podcast presented by Providencia West Palm Beach, a church that exists for the flourishing of all people located in the city center of West Palm Beach, Florida. Our hope is to love our city, listen to your story, and practice the grace of God. We hope you enjoy this content. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode.
1: Good evening, everyone. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here at Providencia. Um, I'm going to lead us in a confession and assurance but before I do that I'm also doing a little bit of an introduction to the next few weeks of our sermon series um, which is a bit of a tall order to do in two minutes so hang with me just for a second. Um, We've been the last six or seven weeks in a series we've called the Summer of Rest. And for the next few weeks, before we start a full new year of our preaching term, we normally run from September to August in our preaching calendar, Um, before we get there, we're going to do a few weeks uh, studying John's letters. That's 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Um, The church father, St. Augustine, said of these three letters, there is nothing in these letters that is not love. Love is one of the main themes of all three of these letters, but especially 1 John, which is what Keith's going to preach from tonight. And so Jordan and Keith have decided that we're going from the summer of rest to the summer of love, and I can't get them to stop saying it, and so if you can't beat them, join them, I guess. So we'll call it the summer of love unless someone else can come up with a better title for the next few weeks of sermons. But John's letters, especially 1 John again, um, they do this thing throughout the letter where John will play one word off of another, pit one thing against another, good versus evil, love versus hate, light versus darkness, truth versus falsehood. And the way John sets it up in the letter, it often looks like you can only be in one camp or the other. Either you are... Light or you are darkness, and there's a giant chasm between those two, and crossing from one to the other is a very difficult task. This, for me, makes me very unrestful to think about this idea of light versus darkness, truth versus falsehood. If you do this, you cannot be in the light, is what John says over and over again. If you do this, you have not loved your brother. The love of God has never been in you. This is the kind of language that John uses. And it makes me anxious because I do these things all the time. The darkness things, the hateful things, the evil things, as John sets it up. But in this letter, I think more than just a polarization between two different things, John is setting up a tension Because he comes back over and over again to this idea of if you sin, if you do this darkness, evil, falsehood stuff, we have an advocate with the Father who is Jesus Christ. John constantly keeps coming back to this. And so there's something in John's letters that tells me that John is holding a tension between the idea that we're supposed to be, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, people of the light, people of love people of truth, people of good, but we constantly find ourselves over here. And so we're relying completely, resting completely, as Keith's gonna talk about, in the love of Jesus, in the truth that is Jesus. And so, for me, coming to the letters of John feels like a really bad follow up to the summer of rest. It seems unrestful to me. But I love that Keith's going to talk a little bit in the sermon tonight, even how we can connect rest with living out the love that John's talking about in these letters. And so, I hope you'll look forward. To the next few weeks. One of the things Jordan and I talked about in the memorial service when we introduced this series was the idea that you could read through all three of these letters in about 20 minutes, all the way through, start to finish. Something we don't often do with scripture. Maybe we read a verse here, a few verses there, maybe we even read a whole chapter. I'd encourage you sometime this week, read through all three of these letters, start to finish. You get the idea of the whole of them, and it just doesn't take that long. It's a really helpful foundation for where we're going from here. Tonight's confession tries to hold this idea of attention between things that we confess that we believe in and things that we constantly fail to live out. So, the words are going to be on the walls either side of me. I'm going to pray this prayer of confession over you. You're very welcome to keep your eyes open, read along with these words if you'd like to do that. But if you'd like to close your eyes as I pray this prayer over us, you're welcome to do that as well. Let's pray together. We believe in community, but we confess we are individualistic. We believe in grace but we confess we are stingy. We believe in forgiveness, but we confess to holding grudges. We believe in love, but we confess it is easy to hate. We believe in justice, but we confess to resenting the hard work justice requires. We believe in discipleship, but we confess to turning away when it gets difficult. We believe in Jesus, but we confess to forcing him to look like us. God mold us into a vessel that is the likeness of your son, Jesus, and pour your spirit into us until we overflow with your love. Amen. As always, our confession is not complete without the assurance of forgiveness and our assurance comes from the first of John's letters, chapter one, verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God.
2: Our scripture tonight is in 1 John 2, one through 11. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must also live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness and anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble but anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them
3: thanks allison And thank you to the worship team for leading us so far. And uh, I just want to welcome you all. My name is Keith Case, and I'm a pastor here at Providencia, uh, West Palm Beach. And we're so excited to have you all here tonight uh, with us. As Drew mentioned, we were in a series called The Summer of Rest. And now we're in this incredible season of The Summer of Love. Um, And as John uh, talks about in his epistle tonight, uh, we see that he kind of weds these two things together, at least for him, that having this rest uh, is so deeply connected to having this love or to living this love out. Uh, our family just got back from vacation. We were in New Smyrna Beach, uh, Dolphin World. If you've never been there before, I've never seen so many dolphins in my life. I think it's Grayson's like, favorite place. Uh, and if you don't know Grayson, by the way, Grayson speaks dolphin. Raise your hand, Grayson. Yes. Uh, and it's amazing. Just ask him about dolphins uh, if you go to civil society after and your mind is going to be blown. It's amazing. So, uh, but I was seeing dolphins every morning. I was waking up, um, watching the sunrise. It was beautiful and it was pelicans and like the sea turtles had come and like laid their eggs and uh, there was just so much activity. The, the water was just teeming with life. And you could see these lines coming in if you're a surfer. Uh, it was just beautiful. Um, and the, the sea breeze, right? I just loved the, the smell of the sea breeze. And I was doing the Lectio app, which uh, some of you may remember from this summer that we downloaded that, some of us. And, you know, it leads you through a scripture reading and it's somebody with an accent, you know, so it always makes it better for me to listen to scripture read with somebody with an accent. And then they, they invite you into this time of prayer and, and breathing and just slowing down. And I'm sitting there watching all of this happen, like the sunrise, dolphins, sea turtles, like everything teeming with life in front of me. And I'm hearing the scripture read and being invited to breathe deeply and just breathe and breathe this in. And... Uh, You know, at the beginning of the week, I read the text that I'm going to preach on, and I need to send it to Drew and Danny and different people, uh, the title of what the sermon's going to be. And so the title of the sermon tonight is called Love is in the Air. Um, And for most of you, you probably will never have heard of this band before, but I know some of you have. Corbin told me his dad knows this band, for example. But uh, the Allman Brothers band had this song called Revival. Has anybody ever heard of it? Like two of you probably. Oh, OK, OK, some more hands. I see those hands. Uh, and so it was a song that you know, was written by somebody in the band who was an instrumentalist more than a lyricist. But this was the song that they uh, wrote that really kind of got some traction. So the first half of the song is just instrumental. And then he adds these lyrics and the lyrics are, people can you feel it, love is everywhere. People can you hear it, love is in the air. So that's where I got the idea and that song, if you know me, I kind of have like a song in my heart, my head that I'm humming all week. So all week long, I was like humming that song. And in preparation for the sermon, it was like the song I had on repeat, just like, you know, vibing with this song. The Allman Brothers Band is a very interesting band. They are from Jacksonville, the two brothers, um, and uh, they, you know, were considered southern rock. The Allman Brothers didn't like that because they it was considered redneck music and, like, racism and all this other stuff, and they were kind of, like, cutting edge for their time. They had long hair. They were considered hippies in a way, and they had a black person in their band, which was controversial for them during the 70s, being in the South, but they didn't care because love was in the air. And they were bringing that, and I was one of these kids that as they kind of had a revival uh, later with their music, I was one of these kids that, that went to their concerts, uh, to these jam band concerts. There was a series called The Horde Festival that came out, and I would go hear the Allman Brothers Band and just sit there and dance, you know, to fish and all these other jam bands. But that was the song in my head. People, can you feel it? Love is in the air. It's experiential, right? And so I'd ask you tonight as we, you know, begin to dive into our text, can you hear it? Can you feel it? Love is in the air. Love is in the air. You know, we we live in the West in a pretty cerebral culture, Um, uh, really uh, buying into this model of humanity presented to us through the enlightenment that you are a brain on a stick, and... um, you know, it's not really what Scripture gives us. They gives us a different model. It's you know, what Jesus gives us, what uh, John gives us. You know, we are lovers, actually. Uh, we are lovers, and, and we are artwork and artists, and you are a creative lover. Uh, hopefully you've heard that before, but you are a creative lover. And John uh, claimed love as part of his identity. In fact, in the Gospel of John, uh, he is called, and he calls himself this, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, he, he was like the apostle of love. Can you imagine having that as your title? Like walking around, the apostle of love. And um, he's the one who's sitting next to Jesus. And, and, and you know, when you see the, the paintings of the Last Supper, the really accurate ones, uh, he's the one there laying next to Jesus, like reclining on Jesus' bosom, if you will. Uh, he's, the, he's the one who knows all about love. And uh, when you first turn to that first chapter of uh, this epistle um, that we're reading from tonight, uh, listen to how he sets up this letter. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life. That for John, love wasn't just something that we knew. It wasn't just some cerebral knowledge, but it was experiential. And in fact, Jesus was experiential. You had to be in an experience with uh, Jesus. Uh, my friend Corey Widmer grew up on the same mountain I went to, or I did. Grew up, well, I went to the same high school, same youth group, same church. He's a pastor in the same denomination that I'm in, uh, in Virginia, and he just got back from a five-week sabbatical, five-week vacation of intentionality. And, and he wrote this about that time. He said, I'm just finishing up a five-week sabbatical that started on July 1, inspired by reading Kurt Thompson's book, Soul of Desire. I highly recommend the book. I uh, haven't read it, but I just recommend it. Uh, my biggest agenda for this time of rest was simply to put myself into the path of beauty. His whole agenda for his five weeks was to put himself into the path of beauty. He goes on to say, In my own culture and spiritual upbringing, thinking was emphasized more than what was experienced with my physical senses. Yet this isn't really the way reality works. Before we think as humans, we need to first encounter things with our senses. As Thompson puts it, first we sense then we make sense of what we sense. And there's a Catholic theologian who goes on to say, he claims that beauty experientially precedes goodness and truth. Because beauty is what attracts us to goodness in the first place. And it is what enables us to comprehend what is true. That there's this experience of beauty that actually opens us up to seeing what is good and what is true. And and tonight, as we're reading the text we're about to read again or kind of dive into more, uh, I would say that John is inviting us to put ourselves into the path of love. Uh, For Corey, it was the path of beauty. But for us tonight, uh, for us as a people now reading this letter, that he's inviting us into this path of love, that we would begin to hear the song that he is singing over us. Uh, this song of love, that it would invade our bodies, that it would, uh, we would welcome it and nourish it and grow it in us. As we come to chapter 2 of that first epistle, he addresses us, my dear children. The term of affection, you know, is a very close feeling, and then things take a very dark turn pretty quick, right? He goes in to say, hey, I write this to you so that you will not sin. So that you will not sin. He goes from like, hey, my dear children. All right, guys, don't sin. Um, And that word sin, you may have heard it before, you know, that it means to miss the mark. But it also means to miss out. Because if you miss the mark and keep missing the mark, eventually you miss out on something. There's something in the trajectory of your life that you will end up missing out on. And John is saying, I don't want you to miss out on what life is really about. And then he brings this ever expanding good news to people, to people like us. He says, But if you do sin, we have an advocate, a counselor, a defense team like no other. See, this defense team, I see my brother Hampton in the back there, he's a lawyer, right? Uh, Defense teams, though, he's not a a, uh, defense lawyer, but a defense team, right, when they have their defendant up there, they're trying to defend them, ask them the right questions. But what John is saying about who Jesus is is that Jesus actually gets up on the stand in our place, answers the questions on our behalf. And then when the sentencing is given, that Jesus takes the sentencing upon himself. That this is the kind of advocate that we have in Jesus. As you think about the trajectory of your life of missing the mark, of missing out on what life is all about. And Jesus is saying, hey, I will take that on myself. And I will give you the reward of actually hitting the mark, of actually living out what life is really all about. And I won't just do it for you. Do it for the whole world. That Jesus doesn't want to just do this work for us. He wants to do it for the whole world. And certainly remember the scripture, John 3, 16, right? It's probably one of the most famous New Testament scriptures quoted. And, and 17 that follows, For God so loved the world that he gave his, only, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That this is what John is reminding us of again. That we can sometimes become so narrowed into thinking that we are the only beneficiaries of the good news. And and John is saying, no, 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 this, this is for the whole world. Don't put limits on God. This is uh, greater than you could imagine. Uh, Thank you, uh, James Webb Telescope, right, for expanding our minds, expanding our hearts, expanding our lungs, and showing us more of the cosmos. That that if you have some concept of who God is, that if there is a God in this world, that certainly he's bigger than all things. And that we as Christians believe the words of John that he says later in this epistle, that God is love. So that love is in the entire cosmos. That God has love for the entire cosmos. So John is saying, hey, if you believe that, also believe it for yourself. Believe it for yourself. Rest in it. Be secure in it. That God loves you that much. You know, John goes on to say that in the same epistle that greater love has no man that will lay down his life. That Jesus is the one who loves us so much he would give up his life for us. Rest in this love. Rest in it. And it will take us into this next movement that John wants us in. But you have to learn to rest in it. If it is hard for you to rest in the reality of God's love, for it to absorb into your body, your bones, your your lungs, your skin, like every part of you, if that's a challenge for you, The invitation that John is giving us is to look at that. What is that in me that resists God's love? That you can do it with compassion. Um, That he's inviting us into something here. he's, He's really targeting fear. Because a lot of us still live, even though we heard that God loves us, we live in fear of God. And not a healthy fear, but an unhealthy fear, waiting for God in a way to strike out. And John again goes on later in this and he says, you know, perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment, has to do with condemnation. The Christ has taken that all away. Rest in that. Rest in that. And you will live into what you were called to be lived. You were called to live into. You know, as a young believer, I, I started reading the Bible and became a bit overwhelmed, especially reading the Old Testament. I didn't have Brittany Melton in my life yet, you know, to help me understand all this stuff. And uh, I had this perception of Christians even before coming to uh, faith, which was that they were kind of in a game, a, a, a virtuous game, if you will, that they were essentially competing to be the most virtuous person. And, and I knew that I was not very good at that game at that point in my life at 14 years old. And so I really wasn't playing the game. But once I became a Christian, I really wanted to do it right. I wanted to, like, you know, uh, follow God and and do everything. And I started reading all this stuff, and I was, like, kind of overwhelmed because I was like, man, this feels like a lot of rules. And thank God I I came across this man, Brennan Manning. um, And and Brennan told me this, this word, you know, he said, love God and do whatever you want. And I felt so relieved. He said, love God and do whatever you want. You know, Jesus summarized the entire Old Testament, essentially, and he said, you know, you've heard it was said. He's like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. That this is the summary of all the law. And when I heard that, I felt so relieved. You know, love God. Oh, man, it moved me from my cerebral head to my heart. It moved me from this checklist of rules and regulations to a relationship, to connection, to to intimacy. And, and, you know, there was this other part of me as a 14-year-old that was like, and do whatever you want. (laughs) Right? Uh, And that was my sinister laugh. And so, uh, but the reality was that the deeper it sank in, uh, resting in God's love, and really resting in it. And as the fear dissipated, so much of the things that drove me into, like, very addictive patterns in my life, they began to lose power. Um, and they began to loosen, if you will, their grip on me. And I began to share things that I had held in secret. And those things began to lose their grip and their power. And, like, I started to experience this, this new freedom. And this connection of, like, communion with God, of being in communion, and I wanted to stay connected. It wasn't about checking the boxes. It was about staying connected, staying connected with God. You know, John says at the beginning, he says uh, that he is writing this in chapter 1, to those who see, touch, and taste the life, the eternal life, Jesus And that in doing so, that they would believe. And what would happen if they believed? That there would be connection, that there would be fellowship. With who? With us, with God, with Jesus. And that their joy, he said, would be complete. And John turns his attention here in this chapter, in chapter 2, to another completeness. He says that your love for God would become complete. And maybe you've heard this before, but let me say it to you point blank, that you were made as a lover, and you were made to love God completely. That that for you to love God completely would be so fulfilling, so life-giving, that you might feel like you were going to explode. And yet that, was what, that is what you were made for, to love God completely. And John is saying, I want your love for God to become complete. That you were made to fully love God, to completely love God. And he says, if this isn't you, if this isn't you, if you are not completely in love with God, then you are missing the mark. And John turns up the heat here. He says, if you want to know if you are truly living this out, are you living like Jesus? Are you living like Jesus? Now, I... I was preaching this morning. is a little different demographic. It's a little bit older demographic. But I said to them, I said, as I engage with young people, because today, you know, churches are scrambling. They're trying to figure out um, why young people don't go to church anymore, why young people are leaving the church. And it's this problem, and the people are trying to figure it out. But as I talk to people who've left the church, I talk to young people out there, One of the things that I see over and over again, hear over and over again, that people are longing, people out there are longing to see Christians really live it out, really live out what Jesus says we are called to do, that they would love like Jesus loved and that if they saw that, if they could touch, taste, see, smell that, it would be transformative that it would, it would be transformative, not just for the world, but it would be transformative for their life. And I see it even on my Instagram, for example. That I, you know, I basically post a bunch of pictures of my kids um, surfing, just you know, kind of bizarre things. But one of the things that will happen sometimes is if I post a picture of us doing something that feels like, man, that is really an outworking of the gospel, this community of Providencia is like, boom, 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 like, heart, heart, boom, 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 comments, fire. You know, like, it's like people love it. I'll tell you some examples. Examples were uh, Jordan and I meeting with uh, a rabbi and mom here in this church doing a multi-faith work. And, and I talked about how Jesus has called us to love our neighbors despite whatever faith they're a part of. And people were like, hell yeah, like, 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 love, 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 Right? If we do things that, like, cross over a border that you have seen maybe the church in America draw, and we cross over that empowered by the love of God, people go nuts in the best way possible. Because it's what people are looking for. And it's what John is inviting us to. To really live this out. Because we are to be people of love. And what John is inviting us to is whole life discipleship. I grew up Presbyterian basically from age 14 on. And the only thing in many ways that we cared about was that you would get the right theology and not have sex until you got married. As long as you did that, you checked the boxes. So it was all about this and some, you know, other things, but it was mainly about this, right? And you were just trying to get everything right up here. And so young people like myself began to look around and said, man, this is not adding up. This is not matching up. This is actually feels dead inside. And so uh, I got invited to go to Puerto Rico by a friend of mine and he had a Presbyterian church down there, but that was a a Presbyterian church with a charismatic flair. Can I get an amen? And they were, they were on fire down there, and they had this incredible love for each other. You know, when you get off the plane in Puerto Rico, you know, if you come from the U.S. and you're really baked in American culture, the first thing you do is you put your bags in the person's car because you're about, you're about accomplishing something, right? We got to get somewhere. We're on the clock here. We got to put the bags in the car. We got to get out of here, right? No, no, when you land in Puerto Rico... It's not put the bags in the car. It's, you better come here and give me a hug right now. Like, we got to love. We got to, it's like a little love fest right there in the airport. Cars are honking. Everybody's beating. but it's not about time. It's about people. It's about people. Well, I discovered that they had the counseling program in their church. And so uh, I began to take students from this Presbyterian college down there to Puerto Rico, these people who live very cerebrally down to this counseling program that was trying to reconnect us with our hearts, right, Danny? From the head to the heart. We're trying to make this connection. And so we take all these people down there and uh, the pastor, who's also a, a therapist was really priming the pump, right? He was talking to us all about love, man. You know, Jesus is all about love, right? Amen, amen. Yeah, we're like all about. And Jesus told us to love other people, right? Yeah, oh, amen, amen. He told us to love our brothers and sisters. That's right, love them, right? And he starts giving all these examples of how Jesus loved people and how we're called to love people like that. He got all these young people fired up. We were so excited, right? We were like, yeah, that's what we're talking about. We got to love like that. We got to even love your enemies. We're like, yeah, love your enemies. There's nine of us there, including my wife. We weren't married at the time, but we are friends. We're sitting there, and he says, okay, we're going to do an exercise. All you lovers, all you Christians, you're all about love. All I want you to do right now is stand up and look at the person next to you, look them right in the eyes, and tell them you love them. And I was like, what? Like tension, right? My body's like tightening up. I was like, that kid is so freaking annoying, dude. I do not want to tell that kid anything, right? And I was the leader of the trip. Like, kids had already pissed me off by this point, right? So I was like, no. And then, and then he's like, the next thing is you're going to give them a hug. I was like, what? This is the most, this is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. And I literally wanted to leave. But guess what? I was the leader. I brought everybody there. So I had to do it. And I think I had to do it, everybody in the room, including my wife, my future wife, uh, and even when I was looking at somebody who's gonna be my fear, I was still feeling awkward about telling them that I love them. So we did this exercise, and it was funny, and there was a lot of laughter because everybody was nervous and scared. And then we sat back down. He said, People of love, what happened? You're here with like eight other Christians, nine other Christians. What is in the way? What are the obstacles for you? of being able to look a brother or sister in the eyes and tell them that you love them and to give them a hug. And he's, he invited us on a journey at that point to do some, digger, some uh, digging into our own stories, into our own hearts, into our own journeys. You know, you, you think about the words of Jesus when he said, if you're going to go confront someone, you know, you um, know, Spouses, kids, you know, whoever it is you're going to go confront, friends, um, that you have to do this journey first, right? Everybody knows what it is, right? That you have to look before you point out the speck in their eye, you have to find the log in your eye. It's an inward journey that Jesus invites us on. Um, I know Drew and Jordan were talking about tension as as they were in Jordan. uh, Drew was talking about it again tonight, this tension. Uh, that, that exists in John's letters. And, and I would say, you know, it reminded me of a bow and the string on the bow and all the tension on the bow. And that John is like leveraging that tension to send us on a journey. If you want to go out into the world and love the world like God loves the world, you also got to go in here and find that there's a world already in you and that there's parts of that world that you are like, heck no, I reject you. I reject you. I reject you. You're not cool. Get over there. You know, I don't like the way you look. I don't like that body part. I don't like this. I don't like that. There's all these parts of us that we want to hold off. And so what, what will happen is some of the people that tick you off the most, that annoy you the most, remind you of the parts of you that you have not embraced, that you have not shown the love of God to. This has been my journey since I started going to therapy, since I started going to counseling. Now, counseling isn't the end all. I I pray, I read scripture. I'm in community. Community is so important to this journey. But I will tell you that counseling has become something that I'm committed to, that I go to every other week. And part of that time for me is to look inward at what is it that's keeping me from loving freely, what is it that's keeping love uh, from flowing freely through me? As Paul, or John says, you know, that how insignificant it is to love our brothers and sisters. How significant it is. And John's model even of discipleship is that the world will know you are Christians by your love for one another. May this be our journey that we put ourselves in the path of love. That John is inviting us to put ourselves in the path of love. So if you think about this next week, this is how Corey did it. Corey was going to galleries. He was going to museums. My friend who put himself in the path of beauty. He was listening to concerts. He was going to concerts that he really liked. He was reconnecting uh, with old friends. He was going to beautiful parks. He was just trying to surround himself with beauty. For these next weeks, what would it look like to put yourself intentionally on the path of love? To be around people that love you, that tell you that they love you, that you get to experience love from them. That you get to taste love, that you get to touch it, that you get to to feel it. That is the, the journey here for the next weeks. That you would be intentional about. I hope you will join us as we learn to rest in it, as we learn to breathe in it, as we learn to let love invade every aspect of our body, so that we can breathe it in and we can breathe it out on each other and on our city. Let us pray.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode. The work we do is made possible by your partnership and generosity. If you enjoyed the content and would like to support our work, please visit providenciawpb.org and click on the give link. The music you hear in the beginning and end of our show was written, produced, and recorded by our music collective, Paradise Hymns. Find their original songs wherever you stream music. Thanks again, and have a blessed day.